This morning we're reading from the Gospel of John. We're in chapter 8, starting at verse 1. Then each went to his own home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, oh sorry, in the law, Moses commands us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit that helps us to understand and, and lay hold to your word and be shaped by it. And so I just pray this morning that the word and spirit um, would shape us this morning. Lead us into truth and, and understanding this morning as we come to your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, and so uh, this week is part two um, of our series about God's extraordinary indescribable grace and and so last week the the key scripture that we began with was john chapter 1 verse 17 that says for the law was given through moses grace and truth came through jesus christ and last week we talked about how how grace is a whole new world we began with a magic carpet ride with aladdin uh, taking a new perspective a whole new point of view and, and a whole new world and and so last week we kind of talked about how that the law given through Moses is of the performance paradigm, the, the performance paradigm of being accepted and loved. And so performance equals love and acceptance based upon performance. That's the way the world is shaped, but the grace paradigm, the grace covenant, the, the way we now have relationship with God is based upon God's grace. And so the grace paradigm is love and acceptance apart from our performance, apart from our behavior, apart from us deserving it. And so today we we kind of move forward to the next step of our understanding of grace and and I want to explore the idea of no condemnation this morning, which is a legal term. So last week we began with a magic carpet ride, which uh, is exciting. This week we begin, if you can throw up that other picture, Dave, uh, with something that might be less exciting for some or more exciting for others, but we begin in the courtroom. Um, and I've actually, uh, not, not standing trial myself, but I've had the opportunity as a pastor to, to kind of accompany a few people in various different court settings, and I actually find it very interesting um, being in, in a courtroom environment with um, all the bowing and nodding as you walk in and out to the magistrate and things like that. But if we're talking about a legal case, uh, a, a criminal case, then there are two key aspects of a criminal trial the first is 
the trial itself, which is about establishing a person's guilt. Did they commit the crime or not? That's all about the word conviction. But then there's a second phase of a trial, which is the sentencing. This is uh, the, the, the part of the trial where the punishment with which the, the person who's already been convicted, who's already been named guilty, is, is handed out. And this is, uh, to use the biblical phrase, this is the component of the trial that we'd call the condemnation, the, the handing out of a sentence. And so this morning as we explore this idea of no condemnation, I want us to be clear that there's a difference between conviction of guilt and condemnation. Conviction is the formal declaration of a guilty verdict. You did it, or they did it. But condemnation is the action of condemning someone to a punishment. Conviction and condemnation are two parts of a, of a legal trial, but they are not the same thing. And so we begin in the courtroom this morning, and we can throw that picture away from now, Dave, um, because... What Lauren has read to us this morning is actually a courtroom scene. John chapter 8 verses 1 to 11 is a courtroom drama. And before we kind of process uh, what this says to us, I just want to take a side note. Some of you may have in your Bible something like my Bible says, the earliest manuscripts and many other ancient witnesses do not have John seven fifty three to 8 to 11. And so uh, before we dig into this, it's important to acknowledge that it's very unlikely that this that we've read this morning was part of John's original gospel that he wrote. But it's also very unlikely that the, the, the event detailed here did not happen because it's so strongly entrenched in Scripture and written about by, by other sources. And, and, and so though it's not in John's original, it's very likely that this happened. But also we can say that what happens here is completely consistent with who we know Jesus to be from the Scripture and completely consistent with the theology of the New Testament. And so if we were standing on this alone and it, and it was completely different to everything else that Jesus had ever done and said, we might be standing on shaky ground. But this story um, is likely an event that happened, but is also something that can at least act as a parable to the theology um, that we'll look at elsewhere this morning. And so this is a courtroom drama. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees act as the prosecution. A woman is dragged before the court and accused and they set Jesus up as the judge. Now this is not actually an act of, of, of bringing reverence to Jesus, of respecting him as a wise man. They're actually trying to catch him out. In verse 6 it says they were trying to trap Jesus. They were trying to place him in a position that he could not give a suitable answer to. If he says, let her go, they think well, then Jesus is not someone who respects God's law. If he says, well, stone her, then Jesus is a harsher implementer of the law than anyone else seemed to be at that day. And so they're trying to trap Jesus, and so they set him up as judge. They set themselves up as the prosecution. They drag this woman before Jesus and say, we have caught her in the act of adultery. The conviction here is an open and shut case. The conviction part of the trial is a non-event because she was caught 
in the act of adultery. And of course we may wonder, where is the man? Where is the male offender here? This is deeply entrenched in a culture of sexism and patriarchy where, where a woman caught in adultery could, could potentially lose her life and the man might get a slap on the wrist or, or a little bit of a, a, a wink and a nod and, and a don't do it again. But for this woman still, this conviction is an open and shut case. The fact that there should be someone else here standing trial as well doesn't diminish her guilt. She is guilty and nothing in this story suggests otherwise. Jesus doesn't challenge her guilt. And so they come to Jesus and say, what do you say? The law says that she should be stoned. What do you say? The question is not the one of conviction, but of condemnation. The question is, what punishment will Jesus condemn this woman with? And the law gives guidance. She must be stoned. And so it's at this point in the story I want us to pause And consider, who are we in this story? Who are you and I in this story? And I want to give you a hint, we're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus, you're not Jesus. So who else could we be in this story? Well, perhaps we are the teachers of the law and the Pharisees bringing this accused woman before Jesus as judge, hoping that she is condemned. Or perhaps we are the woman caught in her guilt, standing before Jesus, waiting to hear what he would have to say to us about the consequences of our sin. Perhaps we're both. I would suggest to us this morning that that we're often both. Often we place ourselves in the place of the accuser but we are all this woman caught in adultery as well from each perspective this story gives us insight into what it means to live in this whole new world of grace what it means to live not in the performance paradigm but in the grace paradigm not in the performance worldview that says Your love and acceptance is based upon your performance and your ability to be sin-free. But in the grace paradigm that says your love and acceptance is based on the grace of God apart from your performance. This this story gives us insight from both those perspectives on both. And, And if we begin from the perspective of the accuser, what we learn is that we have no right to throw stones. We have no right to throw stones we have no right to condemn another just to remind us in john chapter 8 verses 6 and 7 it says they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing jesus but jesus bent down and started to write in the ground with his finger and and thousands of people has come up with ten thousands of different suggestions about what jesus was writing in the ground the thing is we don't know 
But you can imagine the drama of the scene of they rush to Jesus with this woman caught in adultery. There's, there's high drama and they're, and, and they're expecting this big confrontation and Jesus just squats down and starts doodling in the dirt. He's not threatened in any way by the situation. And then in verse 7, it says, When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any of you is without sin, let them be the first to throw a stone at her. If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And so Jesus doesn't seek to challenge the guilty verdict. He doesn't seek to challenge the sentence that's prescribed in the law. He doesn't say, oh no, we shouldn't enforce that. Oh no, she's not guilty. She says, let's do this. He says, let's do this. Let's begin with the one who's without sin casting the first stone. In verses 8 and 9, we read on, it says, and again he stooped down and wrote on the ground at this, those who heard, began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And so no one is left standing there who has a a right to condemn this woman. And in fact, if all the people in all of the history of the world were standing there seeking to condemn this woman, there would be still no one left with the right to throw the first stone. Jesus' response demonstrates that in the kingdom of God there is no place for anyone to condemn anyone else. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 5, we hear Jesus teaching directly about this. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 5, and he says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so Jesus is saying, don't judge or condemn. They're very similar words in the Greek. Don't judge or condemn another person. Because in the same way that you condemn or judge that person, you'll be condemned and judged. Jesus, with this woman brought before her for accusation, is saying to those who bring her before accusations, if you want this woman to receive the condemnation she deserves, then you should also receive that too. And then Jesus goes on in Matthew to say, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eyes? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so Jesus goes on to say, essentially, to, to, to break the metaphor for you, deal with your own sin. If you want to condemn others, deal with your own sin. And then when you've done that, he doesn't say then you can condemn. He says then you can help your brother or your sister deal with the sin in their life. At no point does Jesus say there will come a time in your life where you're righteous enough that you get to judge and condemn. In Romans chapter 2, verse 1, in in what many kind of believe is the most 
coherent, theologically argued explanation of grace in the Scriptures, Paul says this, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment or condemnation on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same thing. And here, Paul doesn't mean that same thing is the same thing exactly, just as Jesus didn't mean those who are without sin cast the first stone, meaning that those who've committed the exact same sin, who haven't committed this exact same sin, cast the first stone. See, a few verses earlier, Paul wrote in verse 29 of chapter 1, about sin, they become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless and ruthless. And so Jesus would have us know that in particular, in this instance, the sin of adultery, he says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, I say, if you look at another with lust in your heart, you've committed the sin of adultery. Paul's same thing doesn't mean that you're doing exactly the same thing. He's trying to draw us back to this understanding that each of us has fallen short of the glory of God. The same thing is not exactly the same thing and, and so we don't get to throw stones. Sometimes we are the ones who are the accusers, that either we're accusing a brother or sister or, or even a non-believer to someone else or maybe sometimes we're like these people exactly. We bring them before Jesus and want God to smite them for what they've done. But this story and the Scriptures teach us that we don't get to throw stones. It's not our place to judge or condemn. And here's, here's the clincher. We don't get to condemn someone else even when their guilt is clear. This woman's guilt was clear. Yes, there should have been someone else standing trial. But this woman's guilt was clear. And we don't get to condemn someone else because they sin differently to us. See, the thing is we get comfortable with our own ways of sinning and we get used to them. Um, and we can be outraged at someone else's way of sinning. These teachers of the law, these Pharisees, had been comfortable with their own ways of sinning, but when they caught someone in the act of adultery, they both saw the chance to trap Jesus, but they were outraged at this particular sin. And so Jesus is effectively saying, you don't get to condemn someone else just because they sin differently to you. Even when you know they are guilty, and even when you feel that, oh, it's worse than what I have done, we are not the ones who get to judge and condemn. Once we've dealt with our own sin, we have the opportunity and the capacity to help our brothers and sisters with their sin. And so, part of what it means to live in this whole new world of grace means that we are called to extend grace to one another. We are called to be a people and a place and a community where there is no condemnation. 
That doesn't mean that we rejoice around sin and celebrate sin. But we are a community and a place where we don't condemn a person because of their sin. Because we have no right to throw stones. And so sometimes we are the accusers and sometimes we seek to be the accusers. But the truth is, whether we are that or not, we are all the woman caught in adultery. If we're to find a place in the story, we are all this woman. In the courtroom drama of John 8, we, we reach this point where the woman is left standing alone with Jesus. To remind us, verse 9 and 11 says, At that time those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And so at this point, I, I want to encourage you not to let familiarity with this story rob you of the drama of it. This is an intense moment. Put yourself in the place of this woman. Because we are all her. Whether you or I have committed this particular sin of adultery or not, we are still all her. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all this woman standing alone before Jesus. All the other accusers and those who wish to condemn have walked away, but yet we still stand before one who has the right to condemn. You are left standing there with Jesus and Jesus has every right to cast a stone. 1 Peter 2.22, just to pick one verse out of the many that make this clear, says of Jesus, He committed no sin and no deceit was found in His mouth. And so Jesus has every right to stone this woman to death. And that is exactly what the law the performance paradigm law instructs him to do. The law that he handed to the people. This is God's law. And so this is an intense moment for this woman. It's an intense moment for you and I. This is the moment where we're left hanging with what does Jesus do? And if we were watching this as a TV show, you can guarantee there'd be a commercial at this point. And we'd go, oh, or you can probably guarantee that this wouldn't be continued until next week if it was a series. This is the cliffhanger moment in the story. And verse 11 tells us what Jesus does. To his question, the woman responds, No, sir. And Jesus says, Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. So don't let familiarity with this story rob you of the drama. The one person in all of history who has the right to cast a stone, to condemn, to kill this woman for her sin, chose not to. The one person in all of history who has the right to judge you and condemn you, to cast a stone at you, chose not to.
Because as it says in John 3.17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, to, to cast punishment, to declare punishment and judgment and payment for sin upon the world, but to save the world through Him. Romans 3.23, which I already read, says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I'm sure many of us know that verse, whether we know the reference for it off by heart, but who can tell me what the very next words are? Do we not know or are we shy and trained to be passive? Who knows? Does anyone know? You don't have to read them out. Who thinks they might know? Give it a go, Kitch. I said you won't Close. Close. So we all know these words so clearly. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all accept the words that condemn us as guilty. We memorize them by heart because we're so shaped by performance paradigm that says we're not good enough. But the very next words and the only reason Paul quotes those words is the very next words in verse 24 and 25 of of, um, Romans chapter 3. It says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement or payment through faith in His blood. We memorize, we know the words that tell us we're guilty, but so rarely do we memorize the words that tell us that Jesus has set us free by His grace. Even when the guilt is only referenced to point us towards the payment that Jesus made for our sins. The only person in all of history that had a right to cast a stone effectively turned the stones upon himself. See, Jesus' words, neither do I condemn you, is not ignoring the penalty of sin he's taking upon himself. He bore upon himself the payment, the penalty for that sin. And so in Romans, Paul reflects upon this truth. And in Romans 8.1, we we get this profound statement in Scripture. Therefore, referring back to, to all of what is articulated in Romans up to this point, including those words from Romans chapter 3, 23 to 25, that say we're justified freely by God's grace. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from, pardon me, free from the law of sin and death. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we are all this woman caught in adultery before Jesus, guilty of our sin, but we are all in Jesus, this woman who gets the word spoken over us, neither do I condemn you. We're all guilty, but we all face no condemnation. The Greek word here is a cool one. Some of the Greek words are cool um, for condemnation. It's katakrima. Katakrima. You can remember that and... Um, teach it to your children over morning tea if you have them. But, but katakrima means punishment, 
penalty, sentence, penal servitude. It's handed down after conviction. It's the price to be paid for the crime. You do the crime, you do the time, the saying goes. And, and so this catacrima is the time, the penalty, the sentence, the judgment upon a person for who has been found guilty of sin. And so it's saying that for those who are in Christ Jesus, no matter how guilty we may be, no matter how great the weight of our sin, there is now no punishment, penalty, sentence or penal servitude to be owed. There is no purgatory to be experienced. There's no further payment to be made. In the Greek, this sentence is emphatic. The no is emphatic. The now is emphatic. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Throughout Romans chapter 8, Paul continues the argument and I want to reconnect with it in verse 33 because we could be weeks if we explored through it all this morning, but... In Romans 8.33, Paul continues saying, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? In the, I'm reading from the older translation of the NIV, but in the newer one it says, No one. Because they decided in 2011 that we um, weren't as good at receiving the message of rhetorical questions and so they made the answer plain. But whom can bring a charge against God, whom, those who God has chosen? The answer is no one because, as it goes on in that verse, it is God who justifies. God is the one who has made us right before Him. God is the one who has delivered the verdict of no condemnation. So He is not going to place any charge or condemnation upon us. And it says, goes on to say in verse 34, Who is He that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is standing at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And so Paul essentially says, God the Father is not going to condemn because He has justified you. God the Son, Jesus Christ, is not going to condemn because He is the one who received your condemnation on your behalf and is now at the right hand of God the Father interceding on your behalf. So who is left to condemn? The person of the Trinity that, that uh, Paul doesn't mention here is the Holy Spirit. And in John 16, 8 to 11, Jesus himself talks about the role of the Holy Spirit. John 16, 8 to 11, when he comes, that's the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin because men do not believe in me. And so the antidote to the conviction of sin is what? To believe in Jesus. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer and so Jesus is not going to be physically present to convict those who are in him of their righteousness and so the Holy Spirit will do that for us. And in regard to judgment or condemnation, because the prince of this world, who is Satan, now stands condemned. And so if you have a theology that says the Holy Spirit will condemn you, 
to put it bluntly, you have a wrong theology. Remember I said there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin to point us towards belief in Jesus, towards repentance. There's one place that condemnation is mentioned in the Holy Spirit's role in this world and that refers to Satan because he now stands condemned. And so there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, the only beings in all of history, in all of the universe that have any right to condemn have chosen not to and in fact have actually worked to remove the condemnation over our lives. In John chapter 8 verse 11 at the end of Jesus' Uh, no condemnation verdict over this woman's life. He says, go and leave your life of sin. And that's what conviction without condemnation does. It empowers us to leave behind the sins that we've gotten involved with. Conviction without condemnation empowers us to go and leave our lives of sin. See, Jesus doesn't encourage this woman's sin. That's not what grace is about. But grace is about living in a worldview, in a paradigm where there is now no condemnation. And do you know who I think is the worst condemner of a believer? Satan, true, and ourselves. See, many of us take upon ourselves the role of the accuser. Many of us take upon ourselves the role to pronounce condemnation over our lives. And so many of us walk around with a spirit of condemnation. Conviction of sin without condemnation helps us to leave our life of sin, but condemnation does not. Condemnation drives us deeper into the very sins that we've been convicted of. And so many of us walk around with a spirit of condemnation within us, with a a condemning voice in our head saying, you are worthless and not good enough. You deserve to die. God will not love you. And so this verse, this this profound verse in Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, is a thought that we need to reframe our minds with. I, I finished last week by talking about H-Day, where, where the day in Sweden where they switched from driving on the left-hand side of the road to driving on the right-hand side of the road uh, in Europe um, to align themselves with the rest of Europe. And so what they did was... Um, at at 4.50 a.m. in the morning, everyone who was driving on the left-hand side of the road had to stop. And then a few minutes later, they had to drive across to the other side of the road and stop there. And then a full 10 minutes later, everyone was allowed to start driving again on the right-hand side of the road. And so last week I said that's kind of an understanding of what we need to do with this whole new world of a grace paradigm because we're so used to driving on the left-hand side of the road. We're so used to thinking that our acceptance 
and love from God is based upon our performance that we actually need to make an active decision to stop and to shift lanes and, and renew our minds, as it says in, in Romans chapter 12, with the truth that our love and acceptance from God is not based upon our performance but upon God's grace. And so when it comes to this, this key truth of what it means to live in the whole, in the whole new world of grace, this, this truth that there is no condemnation for Christ Jesus, when we get used to driving on the left-hand side of the road and living in condemnation over our life, whether that is from ourselves, whether it's words Satan has spoken to in our life, and sometimes Satan uses the best-meaning people, the, the most well-meaning people to speak condemnation into our lives. Sometimes he'll use our mothers or our fathers or our brothers or sisters to speak words that are well-meaning, but, but, but our spirit grabs them as condemnation. And so when we find ourselves on the left-hand side of the road, don't take this literally, don't go out the door and start driving on the right-hand side of the road, but when we find ourselves on the left-hand side of the road, receiving and speaking words of condemnation over our life, whether they've come from another or whether they come from within, or whether they come from Satan, or whoever they come from, we need to do what they did in Sweden. We need to stop. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we need to renew our mind with that truth. We need to switch to the other side of the road and and and. As it was, as I said last week in Sweden, it would have been weird and unusual and uncomfortable to drive on the right-hand side of the road for the, at least the first few days. And so our minds might struggle, our hearts might struggle with this thought that there is no condemnation for me. There is no punishment for me. There is no sentence for me to pay, though I am guilty of sin. That there is no place for me to condemn and judge another, though they may clearly be guilty of sin because I have no right to cast a, th- a stone. I was going to say cast a stone, and that, uh, a throne, sorry, and that would be even more vicious. We need to renew our mind diligently with the truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because God made him who was without sin, who had the right to cast a stone, the one who received the condemnation, the judgment, the punishment, the sentence on our behalf. We are the guilty one standing before Jesus awaiting our sentence only to discover that he came not to condemn but to save. We are set free from condemnation by his sacrifice and his grace. And so as we um, turn towards worshipping again this morning, um, what I want to do is just take this moment and this song to, to kind of reflect and and what I want you to do as we sing, you can sing the words, if you can sing words and, and, and pray in your heart to God at the same time, you can do that or you can choose not to sing the words. But what I want you to do is to invite the Holy Spirit to come and, and show you any place in your life where condemnation exists. 
any place in your life where you may be guilty, you may be convicted of sin, but, but more than that, where condemnation has been allowed to reign over your life. Words of condemnation have taken anchor in your life. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to show you that and um, in your heart or even out loud if you want to as, as this song, worship songs happening, I invite you to speak to that place in your life and declare over it that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And um, let me pray and then let's sing and let's just invite the Holy Spirit to come and just highlight those areas in our life. And so, Father, thank you that you are already here amongst us by your Spirit, but as we worship and sing the words of this song, I invite you to come and and reveal to each of us places where wherever those words came from, wherever those judgments were passed down to us, I, I invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and show us any area of our life where condemnation lives. as we declare over those areas that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I I pray that you would just lift off those verdicts, that we would be set free from them by the grace that is in Jesus.